once again, good morning to you. We are absolutely thrilled that the Lord has led you to be here this morning, and it's my, it's my firm belief that you are not here by accident. You are here because God has drawn you here. Some of us, this is our church home, and this is our church family, and, and we're here to, to celebrate what God is doing in and among his people here. Uh, others of you, you you're, you're guests because someone invited you, or maybe you just found us on the internet, or maybe you've moved to town, or you moved in for college, and you decided to be here this morning. But whatever reason you think you're here for this morning, you're here because God has drawn you here. Whether this is your church home, whether this is the only time you'll be at this service or not, God has something for us this morning from his word, and so I'm excited that you're with us today. Hopefully when you came in, you picked up a worship guide. On the back of the worship guide, you'll see um, some sermon notes uh, that you can follow along with if you would like to do that, and um, you can uh, see what's going on with that. Before I jump into the sermon, though, is I want to reiterate what Ricky said a moment ago. All of our sign-ups for our fall activities are, are, are live and ready to go, and be sure and check that out. If you have any issues finding it, it should be fairly easy to find on our home page there. Just click the hope and all the details are there, but if you have any questions this week, Monday through Thursday, call the church office and we'd love to kind of walk you through that. Hope groups, equipping classes, all the things. And then I want to uh, echo what I've been saying for a while and what Ricky said this morning, don't miss church next Sunday. It's going to be a big day. It's an important day for our church family. And whether you're already a member or whether you're checking us out, we all need to be here next week. So make plans to be here, worship service at 1030 like normal, and then we'll have a family celebration at 5 p.m. here in this room. Or actually, it's not going to be in this room, it's going to be down that direction, sorry, because we're going to be having a potluck meal, and uh, we need somewhere to sit and eat and things like that. You'll want to be here for both those uh, things next Sunday. You, you need to be here. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into God's Word. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in the book of Acts. We're walking through the book of Acts in chapter 20 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one that's near you. should be underneath the chair around you. And um, if you need a Bible or know somebody who needs one, keep that. That will be, um, that will be um, our gift to you. You can take that home with you. I've got a question for you. Have you ever fallen asleep at an inopportune time? Uh, amen right away it could be that you were in the middle of talking someone to someone and you dozed off it could have been while you're sitting in class it could have been while you're watching a movie and you're in that recliner uh, in the dark and you fall asleep it could be while driving and it could be during a sermon unlike a character in today's text I have never fallen asleep in a sermon the preaching is just too good here I don't fall asleep but there was this time. I was on staff at a church. I was the missions pastor. And we got together every week on Monday or Tuesday morning, I forget which one. And we would get together as a staff. And there were like five or six of us on staff. And we would sit around the table. And we would have the prayer list from the week before to pray through. And we had a pattern. We knew what the pattern was. The guy to the left of the senior pastor started the prayer. Every person took their turn. Everyone around the circle prayed. The last one to pray was always the pastor. I was in position to pray last before the senior pastor. We started praying. I made a dreadful mistake. I laid my head down on the table as we prayed. 
So we're praying. Somewhere along the line, I was no longer praying. I, in staff meeting, as a paid staff position, began to doze off a bit. Guys, do you know when I found out that I had dozed off? I dozed off. The next thing I knew, the table was rattling. I lifted my head up. Slobber was on the table <laughs> up to the corner of my mouth. I look up. I kid you not, all four or five of the guys that were not the senior pastor were laughing hysterically, inaudibly. Our pastor, Scott, he's just praying away. It had bounced over me. And I'd slept right through it. I kept my job. I didn't lose it. Amazing. <laughs> this morning, we're looking. True story. True story. This morning, they had rattled the table to try to wake me up, by the way. All right. Anyway. All right. So this morning, we're going to look at a guy who fell asleep. It wasn't a staff meeting. It was a sermon. Don't fall asleep on me this morning. All right. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 12. Um, we're going to kind of talk about context in a minute, but let's just read the text. It says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through these regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews... As he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, I'm going to stumble over a few of these names, I'm sure. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he proclaimed, prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. I hope you brought your snack. I plan to repeat this. Hopefully no one will fall out a window. We don't have windows in the room. I'm going to preach until daybreak, if that's okay with y'all. My son was getting ready to come to church this morning, and his mama uh, actually asked him, uh, are you prepared for a long sermon or something? And I just kind of chuckled underneath because I knew what today's message was. So let's look at this a little bit closer to get the context of what is happening. I want to uh, put up the map on the screen. We're going to leave it up there uh, for a moment as I walk through uh, the details. 
what's going on is that Paul has just completed a two-plus-year uh, stay in Ephesus. So on your right-hand side, you'll see that, that line, whether it be orange or red or whatever. Kind of follow that line in a moment. He's there in the bottom right-hand corner there in a place called Ephesus. That body of uh, land is in current-day um, Turkey. And then to the left is where it says Macedonia and all that. That's current-day Greece. Okay, so let's leave the map up there. They're in Ephesus. Paul's been there for over two years, maybe two and a half years doing ministry in Ephesus. And last week we looked at chapter 19. And in Ephesus, there was a guy by the name of Demetrius that got all mad and bothered because his um, business of making shrines for uh, a goddess by the name of Artemis was in danger because of the people of God following God instead of um, idols. And then in verse 1... Don't change the, and put the screen up, up on the screen, just leave the map there. But in verse 1, it said, after the uproar ceased. And so that's in reference to what took place in 19. When the city kind of calmed back down, it says that as a result of that, Paul then continues the rest of his third missionary journey as he is headed back towards Jerusalem. So he says goodbye to the people in Ephesus after two plus years. And then it says that he went on over to Macedonia and we don't know if he went uh, through Choaz on the way there or Philippi. Well, we know he was in Philippi at one point. But we don't know for sure which towns he was in, but he was traveling through Macedonia where he had been previously, okay? And then after he spent time in Macedonia, it says he goes down to Greece, which on the map says there, Achaia, and, and ended up in Corinth and spent some time there. He, he spent about three months in that area until he found out that there was a plot against his life, which is a recurring theme in his life, unfortunately. And so he had planned on jumping on a boat and sailing, it's south of this picture, and sailing back to Syria to the area of Jerusalem. But instead of doing that, he goes back by land and retraces those steps, and he goes back through Macedonia, and then he ends up in Philippi, okay? And so after he's, well, actually... Yeah, he ends up in Philippi, and then he sets sail from there and goes to Troas, and it says that he spent seven days in Troas. So on the map at Troas is where we are, all right? So that's kind of a picture of where we are in the story. Back in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, Paul had spent a very brief amount of time in Troas. He had gotten there and felt like he was going to do ministry in Asia, and God said, no, you're not, you're going to go over to Macedonia and he's called to Macedonia and so more than likely Paul didn't do any ministry in Troas back then in chapter 16 so these seven days that he spends in Troas is most likely the only time he spent time with the believers in Troas so that brings us up to the story where he comes into in verse 7 the first day of the week when the people of God were gathered for worship this is the first time in Scripture that we see that the people of God gathered on a Sunday morning, or actually a Sunday evening in this case, as opposed to the Sabbath. And so there's this tradition of beginning to worship on Sunday. It says that they came together to break bread. The idea of breaking bread would be Lord's Supper as well as a common meal that's sometimes referred to as the agape meal or fellowship meal. And it says that Paul knew that he was leaving the next morning. And he'd only been there with them for seven days. And so what's he going to do? He wants to make the most of the time. And so instead of preaching a short sermon, he preaches until midnight. And then that's when the guy falls out the window and he dies. Paul goes down, picks him up, tells him he's not dead. And then he comes back in and preaches until daybreak. Side note real quick. I told my hope group this uh, the other night. And I've told my family. They don't think it's funny. It's easy for me to remember a name. Do you know how I remember the name Eutychus? 
His name is Eutychus, because if you were in a three-story window, fell out, hit the ground, and died, Eutychus too. <laughs> Easy way to remember his name. In all seriousness, Eutychus means lucky or fortunate. Like, I, I, I'm hopeful that name came up after he was, like, brought back to life. Because I don't see anything lucky or fortunate about falling out a three-story window. Paul does, by the power of the Spirit, bring Eutychus back to life. Get the picture here. Paul, in total, spent about 10 hours preaching and teaching and conversing with the people of God there in Troas. We know that he was, well, let me back that up. Did you hear me say it again? 10 hours. Y'all thought I was long-winded, right? I ain't never preached 10 hours, but I'm starting today. No. Um, so here's the deal. We know that Paul was a very powerful speaker, a very powerful evangelist. We know that he was a good church planter and a good missionary. But here's what I like about this passage. We in this passage see the pastor's heart that Paul had for his people. We see it from the very beginning. Look back at verse 1. In verse 1, he says that he sent for the disciples and he encouraged them. He saw the need to encourage the disciples. In order to equip the disciples to live a Christian life, he comforted them and exhorted them. That's what the word encourage means. Perhaps you see at the top of my sermon notes, and you're like, finally, you're getting to your notes. The title of the message is Encouragement from the Lord. The reason I've chosen that title is because there is a word in the Greek that is the same word that's repeated three times in this passage. It's found in verse 1, verse 2, and verse 12. If you've got an ESV copy of God's Word open, you'll see those words like this. Verse 1, the word is encouraging. In verse 2, the word is encouragement. In verse 12, the word is comforted. All three of those words are the same Greek word. The Greek word is parakaleo. And parakaleo comes from the word kaleo. It's a, it's a compound word, para and kaleo. Let's consider what the word means. Para means to come alongside of. Kaleo means to call. So parakaleo means to call alongside. And so what he's saying is that we should encourage each other by coming alongside of each other and calling God's work out of one another. My question is, does the word parakaleo sound anywhere familiar to you? Perhaps it does. Let me point us back to, we're not going to open the word to this, but you may jot it down, John chapter 14, verse 16. In John chapter 14, 16, Jesus is telling his followers, hey, I'm going to send a helper. Do you remember who the helper is? The helper is the Holy Spirit. We looked at this a few weeks ago, and the helper that he uses that word, the word in the Greek is parakletos. It comes from the same word that this word encouragement comes from. Parakletos, the reason Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in that sense, the parakletos, is because he is the one who comes along. The Holy Spirit comes along to one side and comforts and counsels and encourages and helps us. And then Paul sees that just like the Holy Spirit does that, that his task as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus is by the power of the Holy Spirit to come alongside of and encourage and help and comfort. Paul is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within him, and he is doing the work of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is working in him. Do you follow? 
And so what I'm calling us to do today, church, is for us to receive encouragement from the Lord and to be encouragement from the Lord to each other. And that's what this text, in my opinion, is focusing heavily upon when we consider that word is used three different times. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to use us to encourage one another. And so my question for you, if you know much about my preaching, typically I'll ask you a question at the end of a section. So here's the question. You may want to jot it down, and here's my question. Are, are we, as a church, are we experiencing the encouragement found in the Holy Spirit? Are we actively experiencing the encouragement that comes in the Holy Spirit? And the way we do that is both by receiving that encouragement from the Holy Spirit and by allowing the Holy Spirit to use us to be an encouragement in each other's lives. So being a part of that is both receiving and giving. So let's look at some of the ways that we can and should encourage each other and be encouraged by the Lord. It's there on your notes. The first one is this, disciple making. In disciple making, we are to encourage one another. That's found in verses 1 and 2. We see in verses 1 and 2 that Paul sought out the disciples from, first of all, there in Ephesus, and then the disciples in Macedonia. And what's he doing in verses 1 and 2? He is encouraging them. He's also doing that in Troas when he gets down to Troas. I, I want us to understand, though, encouraging does not simply say, oh, I want to feel better about something. Buck up, camper. Everything's going to be okay. That's not what encouraging in the Greek and in Scripture is in reference to, rather encouraging involves two things. It involves exhorting and comforting. It involves challenging and comforting, that we do these things as we encourage each other to follow Jesus. And so Paul didn't just say, come together and life's going to get better. He's saying, let us encourage each other to follow Jesus more closely. Guys, if we're going to be a church that's full of disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples, then we must live out the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by being an encouragement and receiving encouragement from one another. You've heard me talk quite a bit about my D group. Well, uh, we're kind of, I'm in a kind of a transition, and I've jumped in a new D group, uh, nothing against my old one, it's just we're, we're making some transitions. D groups aren't forever, right? And so I jumped into a new D group with a couple of guys this week. We met this past, I think, Thursday morning. And our desire as fellow believers in Jesus Christ is that we will encourage each other and challenge each other and exhort each other to live out the principles of God's word in our lives. It's not getting together and just talking about sports or wishing life was better or focusing on me, but rather it's designed for us to be pushed and encouraged to walk with Jesus, to prompt, prod, encourage, correct, push, exhort each other to love and follow Jesus. That's why I'm in my D group. That's why I'm going to be, I, I, I believe I'm leading, uh, Trooper and I have talked about this, I think I'm going to be leading one of our equipping classes, This helping to lead one of the equipping classes that's going to be opening in, in September. And the reason we have our D groups, the reason we have our equipping classes, the reason we have our hope groups is multifaceted, first and foremost to glorify God, and secondarily for us to do life together to encourage each other to live out what we say we believe. So disciple-making involves encouragement. So here's my question for you on this one before we move on. Who is encouraging you in your walk with Jesus? 
Who is encouraging you in your walk with Jesus, and who are you encouraging? As we sat in the glorious place called McDonald's and started our D group this past week, I looked at those two guys and I said, the question was, what, what is it that you're looking forward to about this D group experience? And my answer to them was this. I'm looking forward to just being a guy. See, when I come to D group, I'm not your pastor. Yes, I'm their pastor, but that's not what, I'm not there to just lay a bunch of information on them. Rather, I'm there because I need to be discipled just like they need to be discipled. And so whenever I think about who is it that's encouraging me in my life, the list could be fairly lengthy. But one place I automatically go to is my D group. Those guys are the ones that encourage me. Likewise, those are the guys that I encourage in their walk with Christ. Do you have that kind of relationship with people? The second way that we can experience encouragement from the Lord is teamwork and ministry. It's there on your notes, teamwork and ministry. You can find that aspect in verses 4 and 5. I'm not going to read the list of names again because they weren't the easiest names to read, but in the, except for Timothy, that's pretty easy. But verses 4 and 5 tell us about these seven men that are travel companions of Paul's and, and, and that they are doing ministry with him. And here's what I love. Did you see all the geographic locations? You're like, Alan, I don't even know where those places are. Well, if we looked at the map, we could find them. But let me just say, it's a representation of the different places that Paul has been. Some are in Achaia, some are in Macedonia, and some are over in Asia. It's where he has been. It's a representative of his missionary work because he sees the role and importance of doing teamwork in ministry. Now, this next part I'm about to share is a little bit of speculation, but there is a second thing that these seven men may represent. In the epistles, in the letters that Paul wrote, we find out that while he was on some of these missionary journeys, one of the things he does, and we'll find it later in the book of Acts, is that he asks the Gentile believers to take up an offering for the Jerusalem church. And so they collect the offering, and Paul's going to take it to Jerusalem. We're going to read about it in a couple of chapters. There is a possibility that these seven men are some of the men that helped receive the offering, and they were helping to deliver the offering that had been collected by their churches. And by that, then we're saying that not only are the individuals doing teamwork and ministry, but the churches are doing teamwork and ministry. It's the idea that we are encouraged when we're not a lone ranger out there. Can you imagine the encouragement that must have come both directions? Paul, knowing these seven guys have, have his back, knowing these guys are going to keep him safe from the plot against his life, that these guys are doing ministry with him, that they're discipling one another, that he can trust them to go on and he'll meet up with them in a bit. We know that there's great encouragement whenever we do ministry together. The Gentile churches did ministry together as they collected offering for the Jerusalem church. Guys, we need each other. We need each other. And one of the ways that we need each other and can encourage each other is if we willingly serve together. This morning I was out front and we had lots of folks coming in and some guests and I was greeting people and I was seeing different people and having conversations and I look over my shoulder and I see uh, Chad's assigned team that were supposed to be greeting people as they came in and they weren't doing their job. I was like, what's up with that? I'm halfway joking here and the reason I say that is because 
four, five, six of our teenagers were over there opening the door and greeting people, and the rest of them were greeting people too, but we just saw the power of serving together. Serving together is more fun than serving alone. And encouragement comes more whenever we serve together. So here's my question for you in this section. Are you serving in ministry? Are you serving as a part of a team? There's lots of places in our church where you can serve as a part of a team. I'm not going to list all of them. I'm going to list just a few of them. You could serve in worship both on stage and or in the back of the room with the technical side of things, and you could be a part of a team. You could serve in our age-based ministries, preschool, children, youth, college. You could be a part of that team. You could be a part of the hospitality team. All of these things are teams serving together, encouraging each other. You will be encouraged when you serve alongside a brother or sister in Christ. I don't know whether it's completely factual what I'm about to say, but I believe this. If you don't serve alongside of someone and you're physically able to do so, I think you'll actually end up being discouraged because you're not a part of a team. Be a part of serving together. Let's go to the next one. I got to get done before Paul gets done. The next one, another way that we encourage each other and have encouragement from the Lord is gathering together, gathering together. Verses seven and eight talks about gathering together, talks about how they were gathered together to break bread. They were gathered together to, uh, to worship. They were gathered together to hear the preaching of Paul. The church is designed to gather together. The church is designed to assemble, to join together. The word here in the Greek is synago, which is like synagogue. We are to gather or congregate together. Now, I do want you to hear me say, we aren't just to gather together and then not scatter. Our job is to gather and then scatter out and to tell others about Jesus. But if we neglect the gathering, the scattering is all the harder. What I mean by that is this. God intends for his people when physically able to gather in the building together to worship corporately, the word corporate just simply means body, the body of Christ coming together. The church in Troas, there in that second section, verses 7 through 12, we see they gather together for fellowship. They gather together to take the Lord's Supper. They gather together to eat a meal together. They gather together for the preaching of God's word. We see that worship gatherings involve both the vertical, we're worshiping God, and worship services are designed where they're also horizontal, where we are ministering to each other as well. There's both a, 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 a God, obviously the focus is God, but there's also a people dimension to our worship services. We need encouragement that corporate worship brings, both from God and from his people. Let me just give this little side note real quick. Through my years of ministry, myself included, I have seen people reach out to me and say, hey, Alan, I'm not going to be able to make the thing, whatever the thing is, because I've had a tough day or I'm discouraged or whatever. I'm not making light of any of those situations, and there might be times where that's a good response, but all too often, I think those are the times we need to be at the thing more than we did before because we need to be encouraged by God's people. What I'm doing here is not getting on to you. What I'm doing here is encouraging you to, to go to the things where God's people have gathered because that will be an encouragement to you. Unfortunately, today, there's a spirit of indifference. And I'm not talking about living hope. I'm talking about 
all together of Christians in general. Today, unfortunately, there's a spirit of indifference towards weekly gatherings among Christians. I think COVID, in some ways, kind of drew the line there. We either saw the importance of worship gathering and we're there every week, or we think, oh, when it's convenient, I'll be there. Or I'll just turn on the TV at the house and watch it at the house. When we do those things, when we avoid gathering together corporately as a church family, what we're saying is we're too important to make time for Jesus and his people. But the truth is gathering with your church family is essential. A few weeks ago, Jacob preached for me. If I'm not misremembering, one of the things he said was, living life in isolation is dangerous. So one of the ways that we avoid living a Christian life in isolation is we gather with God's people and do life together. The purpose of the gatherings is not to entertain you. The purpose of our gathering is to worship God. And it's in our worshiping of God as we do that together that we encourage others and we receive encouragement from one another. For your soul and for the souls of others, we need each other. Plus, on a light note, you never know what's going to happen in a worship service. I mean, do you think anybody in Troas went to church that evening and said, huh, I wonder if anybody's going to die tonight. I wonder if a kid's going to fall out the window and die. No, you never know what's going to happen in the worship service. I hope that doesn't happen here. But you never know what God might do and how he might show up at a worship service. Don't miss it. So here's a couple questions, and we'll get to this last one. Do you prioritize weekly worship with your church family? Is that a priority for you, to be here weekly or wherever your church family meets? And then a secondary question is, how can you encourage the saints this week. I'm not talking about that football team from New Orleans. I'm talking about people of God. How can you encourage the saints this week? The last thing I want us to focus on is this. The way we're comforted from the Lord and the way we're comforted together is experiencing the resurrection power. Guys, did we sing a song about the resurrection power a moment ago or what? We're reminded that Jesus is our living hope. I hope you didn't snooze through that song. I hope you heard the power of the truth of God's word that points us back to 1 Peter, and that is that Jesus is our living hope because he didn't stay dead in that tomb. His body began to breathe. He was alive, he is alive, and he is powerful. And that same power that came in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very real and tangible in the lives of those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior, and we can and should experience the victory of the resurrected Christ in our lives because of the resurrection guys because of the resurrection our greatest difficulty has been defeated and solved and overcome and that is sin and the grave if and since sin and the grave have been have been dealt with by the power of Jesus Christ how much more so can Jesus deal with the financial problem in your life, the marital problem in your life, the addiction problem in your life, the the illness problem in your life, the discouragement problem in your life, the anxiety in your life, the the apprehension in your life, the loss of job in your life, the whatever it is, God is powerful because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
encourage each other by the truth, the gospel truth of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Guys, think about it with, with me for a moment. The Lord's Supper. How is it that we can encourage each other through the Lord's Supper? How can we be encouraged by the Lord's Supper? How does that point to the resurrection power? Easy. We see that, that, that when we take the Lord's Supper, the reason I'm pointing the Lord's Supper out is because they were doing that as a church there in Troas. When we take the Lord's Supper, that bread is a reminder that Jesus' body was broken. That juice or that wine is a reminder that Jesus' blood was spilled out. And the fact that we celebrate that is because Jesus is coming back. And the only reason Jesus is coming back is because he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And therefore, when we celebrate the the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating and reminding ourselves of the tangible truth that Jesus is alive. And then take it a little bit further. Take it just a little bit further. Who is worthy? Who is worthy to scoot themselves up to the table of Jesus? Anybody? Anybody want to raise your hand? Are you worthy to do that? The answer would be a big fat negatory. Because of our sin, because of our deadness to sin, uh, uh, from sin, we are not worthy to sit up to the table. But because of the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, if we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, if we've repented of our sins, trusted in him for salvation, then we are worthy, not because of us, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf and his righteousness that has been imputed or placed upon us. So when we receive the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that Jesus brought salvation into our lives. And then you think about Eutychus, when he died, when Paul laid over him and picked him up and hugged him and said that he was alive, and it turns out he is, no doubt, the only way that Paul's able to resurrect is, this boy is that Paul didn't do it, the Holy Spirit did, and the way the Holy Spirit did is because of the resurrection power of Jesus. And whenever they see this boy resurrected, it's a reminder that Jesus himself was resurrected and that you and I have hope of resurrection one day whenever we die because of the resurrection power of Jesus. So my question for you in this section is this. Are you experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in your life on a regular basis? Whatever you're facing, remember that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have the resurrection power of Jesus within you. And along those lines, God uses us to encourage each other and remind each other of this truth. I want to spend just a second on a topic that ties into this message, but not all that direct, other than I want to encourage you with a few words. Think about Eutychus for a minute. He is notoriously known and most remembered as a sleeper during a worship service if you didn't know it before you know it now and because i told you his name and the way to remember it i bet you remember his name and over the years thousands and hundreds of thousands and probably millions of others have succeeded him in doing this and have fallen asleep in the service as well it's funny side note real quick when you're a preacher you see everything so if you fall asleep and your husband or your wife has to nudge you i see it i know you're asleep all right there we go But honestly, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to fall asleep during a sermon or during a worship service. But honestly, I'm less concerned about those who are physically sleeping during a service. And I'm more concerned about those who are spiritually sleeping during a service. Too many times people come into church. They're wide awake. They got all kinds of energy. They're hyped up on Dr. Pepper and coffee and Snickers. They're having a good time with each other. They may even be singing the songs. But their soul is 
sound asleep. Here's three reasons why I think some people are asleep at church. Number one, some are asleep because they've never been awakened from death of sin. These are people that are there every Sunday. They got perfect attendance. They know the Bible verses. They went to VBS. They may have even served at VBS. But they're lost. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's never been a time in their life where they've acknowledged, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of your grace. I repent of my sins, Jesus, and I place my faith and my trust in you. They're just a church person doing church things, being a good moral American and patriotic to boot, and they are thinking they're set to go with God. Is this you? If that's you, come on to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Place your faith and your trust in him. Don't sleep through another service. That person's really not asleep. They're dead. Second type of person who sleeps through a service is this. Some are backslidden. They're in a backslidden state. They're Christians, but they've slipped into spiritual comatose, spiritual bondage, an addiction, a problem, uh, whatever it may be. And I'm not talking negatively about these people. I'm just saying these things have a grip on them. Is that you? If that's you, ask the Holy Spirit to allow you to make a U-turn with his help and allow Christ to fill you with his joy of your salvation. The third way, I think this is the biggest one for a group of people, and that's familiarity and boredom. You see, you're so familiar with the story. Have you ever done this? Like, you're, I'm going to read through the Bible. You open up Genesis, you're like, oh, I've read that one. I can skim through that. I don't have to read all of that. Oh, the preacher's talking about that. Yeah, I know that time. And, uh, yes, I know. I knew the name Eutychus. I don't know the, why I knew it, but I did it. I knew the guy fell. I knew he was brought back to life. I know the story. I'm familiar with it. I can tell it in my sleep. The problem is you are asleep because you're so bored and so familiar with that the Holy Spirit, you're not allowing him to do his work in your life because you are almost desensitized to the story of the gospel. If that's you, would you consciously and deliberately participate fully in worship? I encourage you to sing, not just with your mouth, but with your heart, with your mind, with your, all your being. What about when others pray? Do you just kind of sit there? Like, okay, I'm, I'm on pause. When Alan finally stops praying, we'll get back to the singing. Or do you pray along with people as they pray in the service? Do you listen to God's word and ask him to help you apply it to your life? A couple of things we see in this text. We need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to be that encouragement in each other's lives. We need each other. We walk through those things. And then secondly, the story of Eutychus falling asleep in the service reminds us that we need to be spiritually alive, literally, for salvation to come in our life and for our lives to be radically changed and different so that we're different people when we walk out these doors after having been here. I don't know what the Lord's saying to you this morning, but I anticipate that God is moving 
in people's lives. And unless you resist him, you're going to respond today. You, you could respond in a few different ways. In a moment, we're going to have two songs. And during the second song, we're going to have an offering. Uh, and the plates are going to be passed. You can drop your offering there if you have an offering. You can drop your connection card telling us about your attendance. Or if there's spiritual decisions, you can write that down. You can pray request. You can drop that in the offering. During both of these songs, you can sing, you can pray at your seat, you can pray at the altar, you can come and pray with me, you can grab a buddy to come pray together. You, you can pray there and make, make your chair an altar and pray there. I, I don't know what God's saying to you, but it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to be encouraged and empowered by the Holy Spirit and to repeat that in other people's lives as well. So would you say yes to him this morning? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come together this morning to worship as a church family. And Father, it's my prayer that we, whether we knew we were doing it or not, that we would be living out the truths of this passage we've looked at this morning by the fact that we are here to worship you. And as we worship you, we're encouraged by you and exhorted by you and challenged by you to live for you. And we're experiencing that from other believers in this room and we're to do that for each other and with each other god help us to be gospel people who live out the gospel in our lives and prod and encourage and champion and 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 and, and push each other along in the process as well father would you wake up the church god would you revive your people God, may we not just go through the motions. May we not just say, well, that was fun. And, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to sign up for a hope group. And, oh, yeah, let's go to that next church event. But rather, may our lives be impacted by the truth of your word, by the claims of your word. May we, may we be forever altered and transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the work of the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, have your way in our midst this morning. Help us to be sensitive to where you're leading us. Help us to say yes to you and not no to you and your Holy Spirit. Wake us up. Use us. We pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us if you're able to do so? Let's worship. I'll be available in the front. You say yes to Jesus, whatever that looks like this morning. Survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. Sorrow and love 
cross. Strangers, neighbors, our blood is one. 
your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. He will never let go of you. Take courage. Hold on. Be strong. Remember where I our redemption.
voice. Jesus, our redemption, our salvation is in his blood. Jesus, blood of heaven, free forever, his kingdom come. Father, we do pray that your kingdom would come. That your kingdom would come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may you use us, that we wouldn't just pray for your kingdom to come and sit back and go, oh my goodness, when's it coming? We know you're powerful to do it on your own, but you choose to use us, and therefore God, use us to be tools and vessels of your kingdom coming on this earth as it is in heaven. To you be all glory and honor and praise in Jesus name that I pray amen you have a seat I told you we we're acting out this service right so that was the first helping we're going to the second helping now right come on up here Jacob in all seriousness we are going to stay together for a couple more minutes more minutes uh, if you ever hear me say second helpings it's because of this young man anytime I get back up at the end of a service and I go again he's like oh give him the second dose and so in some ways in the book of Acts we see a second dose um, Jacob so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask you well, let me share this real quick yeah um, what a shame it would be if we run out the door after a sermon like this. Spend some time together. I said it's important for us to gather together, so spend some time together this morning. People you don't know, new friends, old friends, all the while trying to seek, each other, uh, seek to encourage each other. We need each other to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. And so in a moment when you dismiss, please stick around and visit with each other, encourage each other, pray for each other and with each other. But here's what we're going to do. Jacob, you're going to um, share what you know you're going to share. Yeah. And then you're going to actually pray for us. And um, after you share that, don't pray because I'm going to transition. We're going to call some folks up here and we're going to pray over some folks. Okay. Um, so just stay with me. Uh, share what you're going to share. Don't pray yet. Okay. okay. Um, so one of the things I'm going to really talk about hope groups and the sign up and all that. But one thing I want to say, and especially, you know, hearing from the word and hearing about this idea of of falling asleep and um, I wonder if for some of us the falling asleep is these things that you're saying but also that we're busy with the wrong things and we're wearing ourselves out doing everything our job wants everything the world is demanding us everything and then we come to church and we're like well I don't have time for hope group I don't have time but I have time for these other things right for it to go and do the sports to go and do everything else I can make time for but but with this, I can't, because for me, I'm not being brought to life. And so I pray this morning that you have heard this idea. I can testify, those who have been in my hope group, there are people who have been in my hope group for years. Like they were with me in another hope group, they're in this hope group, and this year they feel led to go somewhere else. And like that's a little scary for me to think about, well, what am I going to do this year without certain people in my life like every week? And we're messy. Like our hope group, like my goodness, like we get into it and, and we lay things like out there and there have been disagreements, and there, but there have been people that stick together and say, you know what? In the midst of everything, we're going to pray for each other and we're going to keep showing up for each other because this is where a lot of our life from the Lord comes from. So that was all for free. Okay. So yeah, I was the second helping. There you go. Um, all right. So if you haven't noticed, those of you in hope groups, you are no longer in a hope group on the church center app. So if anyone got on the church center app and you noticed, oh, I'm not, it, we didn't like just kick everybody out. We're like, hey, you know, 
Well, we did, but not so you can stay out. So today, we are reopening Hope Groups for you to sign up uh, for your new group. So what you do is we're signing adults up only. So if you don't know what a Hope Group is, Hope Groups are these uh, smaller parts of our body that gather in um, homes throughout the week. We have uh, a group that meets here on Sundays. We have two groups in Bryan on Monday. We have a group in College Station on Thursday. We have four groups in College Station on Wednesday, one group in Navasota, praise the Lord. And yes, and we have uh, a group uh, in College Station on Thursday. Oh, and Tuesday, yeah. Um, so Thursday's just really exciting, apparently. So uh, these are groups that we get together, and what we do is, it, you don't have to show up. It's not study the Bible. I've got to study. I've got to show up and have some. It's, it's, a, it's another chance to respond to the sermon. That's what Hope Group is. It's a next step for all of us to show up with other people in the body and say, this is where, this is what I heard the Lord speaking to me through the sermon, and this is how I'm trying to apply it. And there's food, and then there's other things where you're like, hey, my week is just going horrible. And you have other people who gather around, and you're like, hey, we're going to pray for you. And we're, we're going to encourage you. And encouragement means exactly what he said. We're going to exhort you. We're not going to say, oh, it's okay, right? We're going to encourage you. We're going to get in each other's lives, and we're going to be honest with each other. And that's what we do in smaller bodies within the church. Because you can hide in this room. And you can hide whenever it's just an agreement between you and God. I just read my Bible, and I'm, I'm okay. I show up to church on Sundays. I read my Bible, and I talk about it with my family. You can hide like that. It's harder to hide. Whenever we get, and you know what's great about not being hidden is that things can come to light. It's your sinfulness can show. And it's safe because there's other people who are praying with you and encouraging you. So here's what we want. We want you to sign up starting today. You're going to request to join. We want adults only. Don't put kids in because some of these groups are going to have a cap. Some of our groups got a little too big last year. And so we don't, it, we don't want you to say, oh, I want to be with this leader. If you can get in with the leader you want, praise the Lord. But if that group is full, it's not like, well, Scott's group's full. Guess I don't have to go to Hope Group this year. No, it's, okay, look for another one that you can get in with your family because we want it to be a meaningful time in these smaller groups to really share about what's going on with our life with the Lord and how we're responding and applying the messages that God's on this. Now, does the Bible say you have to go to a hope group? Absolutely not. But being part of Living Hope and a member of Living Hope is, membership is we want you in a hope group. And if you're someone who's just attending, you're not a member yet, good news, you can be in a hope group. So please, please, please get on Church Center app and you can start seeing where those hope groups are. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. And like you said, we, if you're not already in a group, even if you were last year. So everybody needs to go in, sign up afresh, all right? So here's what we're going to do. Jacob, uh, you're going to be hearing for the first time. Um, I am going to, in just a minute, don't move yet, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to call any high school or middle school student that's in the room that would like for us to pray over you. Uh, we're going to pray over our middle school and high school students as well as administrators or teachers. So I see some administrators, teachers. I'm going to encourage, invite you to come up here. And we're going to pray over you as a church family because we acknowledge that um, our middle school and high school years are important years and also very difficult trying years. And we know that the, 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 the enemy is going to attack and try to attack those kids. And if he can derail them then, then he has, has in his mind succeeded. And we want to see teenagers and those who lead those teenagers to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out their life as a follower of Jesus in their schools, in their settings. And so we're not going to like, uh, like 
pray, we're not going to have you share anything. It's just like you're going to be standing here collectively and we're going to pray over you. And so I'm going to ask Jacob to do that. So if everyone would, please stand. If you're a high school, middle school student and you're okay with us praying over you, come on up here. If you're an administrator or a teacher, come on up. I see, yeah, there we go, Mr. Ryan, there we go. So we're going to get these folks up here. You can stay on this. We don't want you to hurt your shin again, boy. Come on now, here we go. All right, so just kind of come in. Everybody kind of come in together right here. Um, Jacob is um, one of our deacons, and he's actually uh, a part of the administration over at Bozier, Bozier. I'm still in Louisiana. Yeah, sorry. Brian, that's that place, that Brian ISD. A lot Never. of similarities. Yeah, a lot of similarities, <laughs> whatever, whatever. All right, so would you pray that God's Spirit would fill these students and these teachers and these administrators and that all of this would be for his glory and his sake? God, we come to you right now, and we thank you so much that you are a good God, and Lord, that you have plans and purposes from the beginning of time, Lord, to bring salvation, Lord, to this earth. And God, you've chosen to do it, Lord, through people who are, who are broken, who are fallen, who are not perfect, but in you, God, we are made complete and whole and able to do your work and go into this world and point others to you. God, I pray for right now these uh, middle school and high school students that are here, Lord. God, as they are going to have interactions this year with people who are not like them, who have not been raised with the same ideas as them, and they're going into a world, God, one, that's going to combat the things that they believe, but Lord, two, to engage with those who aren't like them. And God, I pray that you would use them in those interactions, Lord. You would use them to, to show your light. I pray against discouragement, God, that doesn't come from you, Lord. I pray against, Lord, the, the enemy trying to attack them and trying to isolate them, Lord, by drawing you away from Jesus, God. I pray that you would hold them close. And God, for those up here who are standing that do not know you yet, Lord, I pray that this would be a year that through whatever circumstances, whatever issues, everything they're going to walk through, it would be a year that draws them to you. And God, I pray that they would see that right now they're useful. They don't have to wait till they're adults. They don't have to wait, Lord, right now. The same Holy Spirit that's in me is in those who know you right here before me. So I pray that you would use them and have them be on mission for you. And God, for our administrators who are up here and our teachers, Lord, God, I pray that, Lord, you would just continue to let your spirit flow through them in each classroom and each meeting. That the love of God and the spirit of God and the truth of God would be so much in them, Lord. That their students and those they work with go, hey, there's something different. And God, that you, people would be drawn to you through them. Lord, I pray that none of us would get so caught up in our moment-to-moment -moment life that we forget that in every moment you are with us. And in every moment you can use it and redeem it and bring others to you. So let us be vessels of your Holy Spirit. Let us be vehicles of grace that we go out into this world, Lord, to bring others into relationship with our loving God. In Jesus' name, amen.